Welcome to Eye on the Ball. This is Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day. I'm blessed to be here with three lovely ladies uh, on this Mother's Day, and we're going to talk about women in ministry. And this has been something that I've been looking forward to for a very long time. And I've been um, hitting these ladies up to come on the podcast for quite a while, and I'm excited that they're finally now here. And we actually have an extra guest that's here that's in town, not normally, and she happens to be a sister of one of the other guests. So first up, Lenore Winkler is here. Miss Lenore was my college and career uh, Sunday school teacher quite a few years ago. Um, One could argue I might not have been saved at that time, just being honest, okay? But... Miss Lenore and Miss Robin Nolan were my were my teachers, and I was very blessed to have them. Um, Lenore, would you please kind of describe your current ministry and just tell us what all you're involved with? Sure. Um, at this time, within our church, local church family, Open Door Fellowship, um, I am teaching an adult Sunday school class, and we call it the sanctuary class because uh, it's a little bit more laid back, a little bit more abbreviated. We have people that come in late and people that come in early, and and since the worship team actually uh, practices I call it pre-worship. We all call it pre-worship. Worship in here before the worship service. Then we'll um, we may run over a little if we if we're learning a few things. So uh, it, we have a more of an abbreviated and then a, a really loose feeling. You don't have to anybody that wants to come in doesn't have to be here right on time. And it's not a, a sneaking in if you you know. It's so it's just real free and it's it feels really good. So I'm teaching that adult Sunday school class. And a good segue into what we're talking about today, or some of what we're talking about today, is I had some some. Uh, questions about would that be okay uh, for me to do and asking the Lord would that be okay talking to brother Tim about it and and uh, uh, because there are men that actually come in our class too so uh, that's what we're doing in here and then the other part of our uh, my ministry our ministry is is uh, our worship team and uh, I don't know if I have one love or the other but uh, music is just like like my breath. And so I love, love, love that, that part of the ministry. Um, I feel a lot more pressure when it comes to delivering God's word or speaking, um, your interpretation of a scripture. I I feel the weight of it heavily. And so, um, when I teach, and that's good because you know, look, there's nowhere in the Bible that it says those that sing are going to be held to a higher standard. Right. But it is for those that are, that teach. That's right. And so there's, there's a reason that you feel that extra, pressure for that. And I think that's awesome. And that's one of the reasons why we love you. Thank you. And that 2 Timothy 2.15 comes to mind. Study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly, rightly dividing the right word of truth. And that's not, that's just not like, if you can think about it, remember this, that's just like built in here. Daddy taught that to us. Mother and daddy taught that to us in our, our private worship time, at personal worship time at home growing up. And that was one that was just embedded. And you're right. There is a, a heavy weight to it but such a joy. Thank you very much. And we're blessed to have your lovely sister here, Tricia Scribner, who has, uh, understanding this correctly, you just finished your PhD in apologetics. I did. Tell us about your ministry and welcome. Well, thank you. Well, of course, a primary ministry is within our families and our body of believers, the local church. That should be on our first, first on our hearts. I have been in school for so long that I uh, haven't. I don't even want to imagine. That's uh, no. Way too long. I said that this year I got uh, Medicare, Social Security, COVID, and a PhD. It was an <laughs> eventful year. So God has been faithful and has brought us all through this year, and we're all so glad of that. What I would say in terms of ministry in the local church, I have done music and and 
led on the vocal team. Right now I'm not doing that. I do teach uh, women's apologetics courses. I've done some of those kinds of things in terms of, of mentoring and helping women to understand why they believe their Christian faith. What are the reasons from the world around us, what we call general revelation, that support our faith? And we find there are many, many. And so I help women with that. I have taught where our men, men are present for that and also in my home, for instance, when they wanted to go through that course, and I shared that shared that with them. And that has been my main ministry within the body of believers. At large, I am a Christian apologist, and I'm just getting out of school back into ministry. I am a writer by heart, and so I, I write books on a variety of subjects, and one of the most recent ones I contributed to was called Answering the Music Man. It's a response of several of us who hold to the classical view of God that means his omnipotence and those basic attributes that we cherish from the orthodox historical Christian view. And I contributed a chapter to that and helped edit it. So I write and I speak. I'm working with a, a, a lecture series called Beyond the Basics uh, that I'm working with four other folks on, and we are sharing that. I'll be in Jacksonville, Florida for that on May 22nd. So I do some traveling and speaking and teaching, and I love to write. So um, in 2017 and 18, I was working with apologist Frank Turek, teaching his Christian online courses, two of his courses in that, and enjoyed that very much as well. So now I can take a breath, come up for air, and I'm looking to see where the Lord leads next. That's awesome. Thank you for being here. We're really excited. Thank you. Thank Next, you. we have Miss Renee Welch, and she is a, a wonderful, faithful member of our church. Um, tell us about your current ministry, Miss Renee. Well, currently, uh, I'm teaching an adult class along with Lena Ree and one of our other adult teachers. We rotate each week, and it's just been a real honor to to teach that class because everybody is just so welcoming and you don't feel intimidated when you go there. Also, through the years, uh, I've been saved right at 50 years, and through the years, I've taught anywhere from two-year-olds all the way up. So, you know, I can't really say that God has, uh, has what would you say, promoted me to the adults? Because that's not really true. It's, it's not a promotion. <laughs> no. I, I've worked with children not that long ago, and it, yeah. it is, um, I think that's more challenging in yes. many ways. Yes. So it's uh, we have a great family here at Open Door Fellowship, and uh, I'm just so privileged to be a part of it. And, you know, you pick up little things along that I call – uh, my personal ministries, like if there's any cooking that needs to be done t to help in that Amen. area, just any kind of help, you know, that I can be, then that's uh, that's where I am. Well, we're called to be servants, yes, and, and we're not um, we're, we're servants first and foremost before we are anything else. Yes, and so um, all right. So I have a question for you, ladies, that um, I want to get into, and, and and I want you to. Uh, feel free to, to speak your mind on this. Um, we really want to know where your heart is and, and, and where you're at. So one of the big issues that we've uh, come across in ministry is the role of women. Where is, the, where is it limited? Where does it end? Is it okay to be a Sunday school teacher over adult men? Is it okay to be, um, say, the minister of education? Is it okay to be minister of children? Is it okay to be a pastor? 
So these are questions that we have that many churches are struggling with. One of the things that I've noticed is some churches within the Southern Baptist Convention will have, say, a staff of 20 people. They'll have their men listed as pastor of missions or missions pastor. But then they'll have their ladies listed as minister of whatever. But they're really, essentially, they're fulfilling the same role. They've just got a different name. So if they're fulfilling the same role, is it, does it make any difference to call them minister versus pastor? Is that, is that an issue? And so um, what I want us to, to think about here and what I want us to use is Scripture. You know, Scripture as our guide, because that has to be the source that we use as what's right and what's wrong. And I, I get that we're going to have different interpretations, and there's, there's people that are going to have different limitations on what they, they feel is appropriate or inappropriate. And, and that's okay, because um, as Ms. Lennery pointed out already before we started the discussion, that there are some things that are essential and there are some things that are not. And I think that um, part of this may be essential, but part of it may also be an opinion. And I don't think that we're going to stand before the Lord one day and answer to him if we have a servant attitude and we're seeking his wisdom and we're seeking uh, his word and, and we're searching for answers, I don't think that he's going to look, look at us and say, okay, that was a step over the line. And, you know, obviously you're, you're not going to be condemned for that. I mean, you made a mistake. You sinned just like the rest of us do. And um, we, we, just, we just have to have the heart here that's in the right place. And so I'm stepping out of this conversation for the most part because I want you ladies – to go through this and, and what you think. Um, I know at least one of you and probably all three of you have a better knowledge of scripture than I do. Um, and that's, um, I, you know, that's, that's, that's coming from a man that, that studies the word quite a bit. Um, but I, when I look at you ladies, I look at, I look at people that I look up to. It's not a man or a woman thing. Uh, you, you ladies are somebody that I look up to. I look, I look to as an example because I see Christ in each of you. And, and Ms. Tricia, I, I haven't, I've only met you a couple of times, but guess what? I've already been reading things that you've written, and uh, I'm, I'm amazed. So I know these two ladies firsthand. I'm getting to know you through your works. And so um, it's all right. So first question, first question, where do you think the line lies with the roles that women can have in ministry? Where do you, what do you think crosses the line? Nope. Oh, okay. Not everybody at once. All right. So... <laughs> Let's let's go to let's go to Miss Tricia for this. I think it's important, first of all, that we recognize we do use the scriptures, the plumb line for all that we seek to do. While this issue may not be essential to the faith, that is, where you stand on the role of women um, in service within the body of believers is not one of whether you are a Christian or saved or not. But it is that does doesn't mean it's not important. I believe that understanding some things about these truths gives us insights into some of the mysteries such as the Trinity and the submission of our Lord Jesus to the will of the Father in relationship of Christ to his church. You know, he says the marriage is supposed to be a gospel marriage. What what does that look like? How do we reflect the gospel in our marriage through what we uh, understand the scripture teaches about the relationship of man and woman and specifically husband and wife? So the scripture is our plumb line. This is a hermeneutical issue. Now that's a big word, but it just means interpretation. What kind of guidelines do we use when we bring that to the scripture to interpret it? And traditionally, there have been several passages that inform us. I think that we would all go to 1 Timothy chapter 2, 
uh, where Paul speaks about uh, a woman learning quietly with all submissiveness and not his not permitting a woman to teach or have authority over a man. And then 1 Corinthians 14, where he speaks and says that women should remain silent in the church and that we're not allowed to speak but must be in submission. So these are huge scriptures, aren't they? And so we, we, we carry this heavy burden, many of us as women. I know I have through the years. Lord, what do you mean by this? I don't want to overstep. I don't want to dishonor the name of Jesus, anything I do. At the same time, I have some awareness of what giftedness he's given me. I want to use it to the fullest. I want to, to burn. I want with fervor and passion in, in every area that he will uh, have me serve. And I think we're very quick very times to say, well, let's just err on the side of caution. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. what we mean by that is, you know, bring the woman, rein her in, and make sure that she doesn't overstep. But, but where is the concern over erring on the side of suppressing giftedness? Right. So these are the issues that are raised. But my concern is that the scripture has something to say about this. And if it's not merely contextual in the sense of it doesn't apply today, because to be honest, every piece of the New Testament is written to an audience uh, and within a certain context culturally and time-wise. So if we're gonna do that and say it's all contextual, it doesn't apply to now, where do we draw that line? And we have to look for markers that tell us when there's a a contextual thing like the covering of uh, the head of women, for instance. It's a way to display this modesty and this uh, honor. And so that may vary from culture to culture, but still being aware of modesty as the principle that undergirds it all. So I'm gonna let some of the women, other women speak, but I'm just bringing up the scriptures there. And um, just, I'll just give a hint of one of my own views is that as I understand the scripture, not how I feel, not based on what I think my calling is, because that has to align with scripture. There may be things I, I think I'm called God, to. That God's not going to call you to do things that aren't scriptural. Well, and it may be very emotional. I've struggled with this. I've struggled with this. Uh, it may be very emotional, but still I come back to, Lord, what would you have for me? Mm-hmm. And what are the bounds for those? And my understanding of scripture, as the scripture teaches it, is that the, the line is at pa- the pastor eldership. Uh, it may, in an elder-led church, that would be only... Uh, designed for men according to scripture and in a pastor-led church where there's a single pastor and a large pastoral leadership those lead pastorship roles are uh, designated for men but not all men not women but not all men there's no question only certain men are are well fit and well suited to that role according to what i believe that first timothy uh or the the guidelines for the pastorate and um other passages speak to. So the role of lead pastor specifically, but specifically. not, say, minister of education, Well, that's, minister of missions. Yes, um, and that's a difficult thing. Who is setting the doctrinal course for the church under the designated authority of Jesus Christ? That's, that's my big question. Right. So for me, unity is so huge. So it, if I am in a church where, as a woman who happens to hold, we'll talk about what we mean by complementarian and egalitarian, but if I believe that God has designated... Um, natures of man and woman as distinct 
and women are gifted for only certain things and men are gifted for certain things. How those are applied or played out may vary, but a woman is designed as the, the carrying vessel of human life. Man is not designed for that. So I see that as a holy and high calling for women, not because every woman will be a biological mother by any means, but the nature of woman is to be the caring and nurture of new life. And men and that's don't a word have that, that you use. That's a word that you use in your book called life giver. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Life givers apologetic. So for, for me, we have a holy and high calling, but it is distinct. It doesn't mean uh, traditional. Right. There's a difference between difference. biblical and traditional, mm-hmm. what we think of from the 50s. And I think that gets mixed up. So Way my understanding of scripture is that's where the line is. How various churches apply that will vary. Um, but I would say that whatever church I choose to be a member of, I'm to align myself as a member of that body with that church's leadership and, and specifically apply this if I, as a woman who does believe in the distinct design nature-wise of a man and woman, and I'm what would be called complementarian, but yet I believe that it's acceptable within the Sunday school class to teach with men present but the pastoral role is not permitted. Well, this helps me to uh, apply it, but it may be that a new pastor comes who holds a different view and says that's not permissible, whereas a previous pastor did. And whatever that lead pastor is saying, I am to fall in line with that. Do it as best I can without grumbling, honor that, find places of service, and my only other alternative is to move to another church and to do so in a God-honoring way as possible if that should be my conviction. Absolutely. Miss Renee, I have a question for you. Why do you think that there's, um, I don't want to say too much opposition, but we'll, we'll just say a lot of opposition. Why do you think there's so, so much opposition to women in ministry by men? I think uh, as time has rolled on, then, you know, that, that's something that's been set up and established. And I'm not too sure about this, but are men intimidated sometimes by women and their gift and their calling? Or uh, is it um, uh, when you express what you're, you feel like your gifted is uh, and what your calling is? Uh, you know, I, I, I agree. I, I just don't think that we should ever do anything that would cause any kind of division, any kind of um, uh, confusion in the church. And unfortunately, I think that women have been tagged with that, mm-hmm. that women are troublemakers. And granted, sometimes they are. People are troublemakers. Yes. There's, I mean, it's not a man or woman thing. I agree. People are. Yeah. Specifically, people that that don't know the Lord, right? And and you know that's one of the things that you know Satan has sowed his seeds within the church, right. within the body of Christ, yes. and we know that. And that's where so so much division comes from. That's where so much opposition comes from to to certain ministries and other things. You know, and and one of the things that that I've experienced in my own life, um, at one point I was in professional ministry for a very short period of time, and we we I actually with the pastor we asked a, a lady to teach a Sunday school class. And she refused because there were going to be men in the Sunday school class. And she said, I will not take a role over the Sunday school class for that reason. And I I mean, I really, it it gave me so much respect for her. Number one, that she would speak her mind. 
Number two, that she would have so much thought that, hey, this might be a stumbling block for some people. Going back to scripture, you know, if it's a stumbling block for someone, you know, we need to avoid it. But then just the fact that um, she, she said it so humbly and there wasn't, she didn't even hesitate to turn it down. The unfortunate side for me was she would have been a great teacher because she knew the word like nobody I've ever encountered in my life. And that was, that was, you know, really kind of a loss to the church, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I don't, I, I'm not blaming her for that. I mean, it was, I wish it was something that we could have made public at the time because I think everybody would have looked at, at, at the church as a whole as, Hey, this is, a we've got thing. some, we've got some good things going on because we've got people here that are looking to follow scripture first and foremost, and they have concerns and they don't want to be a stumbling block. And here's all of the examples that she set by not teaching it. And she said just as many by not teaching as she, she would have if she would have taught. And I personally, as a man, would, would not have had a problem sitting under her in, in terms of being a Sunday school teacher. Um, I, I was teaching youth at the time, but that's, um, you know, that's kind of irrelevant. I, would, I know personally that I would have been there. And the mm-hmm. pastor was obviously okay with her filling that, that role because he, he asked her, you know. And so um, have you experienced that in your life, Ms. Mm-hmm. Lennery? Uh, yeah. And Garrett, you and I had the conversation several years ago when we first uh, began the, this church. When we were at the, I believe we were meeting in the Catholic Church building at that time. And um, one of the things that we, we first started talking about, and you addressed me, uh, and you were saying that you and Brother Tim had talked, and, and he was thinking about, you know, having a mixed class and that he was you know, thinking about maybe asking me. And, and I, at that time, said, you know, Garrett, I don't even know how I feel about that. I'm not sure that I can do that and be scripturally sound. I don't know how I feel, and I still am not sure how I feel about that. What I do know about it is that I have prayed fervently about it, that the Lord has gifted me, and, he, and, and I'm needed in that position in this church, in this local body, and he has not stopped me. I've asked him to stop me because to, to, he speaks to us. I have no doubt that I would know if I was out of his will because I've asked him, and he has not told me no. And that being said, it, and that sounds like, you know, I, I'm in favor of everybody needs to live their own truth, and I am not stating that at all. I am saying with, within the parameters, within Scripture, uh, and, and I go to the Galatians, and I can't remember um, uh, the chapter and verse right now, but I go to Galatians where where he says there's neither male nor female. Mm-hmm. There's no, neither bond, there's no slave nor free, there's neither black nor white. It's not about any of those things, but that we have this freedom in Christ. And I think that this grace allows us, as you said uh, earlier, that we won't be condemned for it, that we will ask the Lord to speak to us and let us know what, what area of ministry, uh, as Trisha said, and Renee both said the same thing, where he wants us to, to, to serve. And, and, and it comes back to the, the, the very first of this conversation that it's about the heart. And, uh, and, and to speak to your reason why, uh, why I, I, I struggle with saying that, uh, that women cannot, cannot, cannot. And I, I read scripture clearly, but I think it's because that men who have been in power for so many years 
have abused that power, and not all men. And I will not speak to you, Brother Tim. I'm not speaking to you, Garrett. I'm talking about within certain denominations that there has been a power struggle. And I think that, as as Renee said, that there there was some intimidation, that there was some, and they didn't know where to draw the line. So we just went with traditional rather than biblical. We just said. Let's just say, you know, this is the way it's always been, so let's continue doing it that way. And that's sin uh, in and of itself, as much as it would be if I were out of God's will and teaching men. When there's pride involved. When absolutely. there's pride. It's, it's, it, it comes down to the heart. And I cannot say we, we don't go back to Scripture. We have to. We have to go to Scripture because everybody can have an opinion and everybody can have a preference. But we need to know beyond any shadow of doubt what God says he expects of us. So I'm not saying that. One of the things I've always been a strong believer in is that every person that God has created and made with his own hands, he has placed a gift within that person. And sometimes we search to find out what is it that God wants me to do or would have me to do. And I've already always used um, uh, what is it that makes you feel good when you do it like when you go out and you minister to the poor does that make you feel good that's probably what you're called to you know it's not always behind a pulpit and I think that's one of the mistakes that we've made through the years is that we think that it's behind the pulpit and if you think about how much time you know do people spend behind the pulpit um, now they spend a lot of time in preparation, but we behind, hope that they do. Yeah, we hope they spend a hundred times as much. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. Behind, but you know, uh, most of the time, the the most time that we spend is ministering to individuals mm-hmm. individually. Mm-hmm. And it's not inside these church walls. It's outside of the church walls. And I think if we begin to tap in to what our gift is, what makes us feel really happy on the inside, and use that and excel in that, God will take us where he wants us to go. There's a joy to be found in in finding your place in ministry and finding Mm -hmm. your place Mm -hmm. in in the body of believers. Absolutely. Ms. Tricia, one of the things that you mentioned, or or let let me back up. I've noticed that you write every one of your books, it, it seems like, to women. They are written specifically for women. But, you know, here I am, a man reading it and enjoying it and learning. You know, and so I, I, would, I would ask you that question, first, first of all, why did you gear them specifically towards women and not, and not towards men and women? Well, the last book, the music, Answering the Music Man, of course, is for a general popular audience. But I believe that Titus does teach us that we as women have a primary responsibility to other women, especially those coming along behind us, either mm-hmm. spiritually or chronologically in years, you know. And because God gave me a wonderful mentor, I, uh, I appreciated her so much, and I recognize that Titus's mandate for us to mentor and lead other women is, is critically important. And also, being within the denomination that I'm in, it may be very well that in addition to being spiritually gifted as a teacher, that I do have some preaching giftedness. But because in our denomination, women, or rather, excuse me, the, the idea of, of a preacher is equated very often with pastor mm-hmm. and ordination. I have chosen to put that aside because it's, I do not wish to cause dissension. I've been called a preacher by my pastor. 
one of my pastors, and I asked him, you know, let's not do that just because of the connotation, not because I may not have some giftedness in expositing, you know, explaining scripture, and have invested a great deal of time in trying to, to do that wisely, but, um, but because I, I just, within my circle of ministry, don't want to create problems. Personally, that someone, uh, a guest woman, speaks on a Sunday morning behind a pulpit and explains scripture, I believe is scripturally permitted. And I believe that Paul's mandate for a woman not to teach a man or to have authority is more likely combined into one teach or have authority. Uh, and it doesn't mean to teach in an authoritative way. Scripture is authoritative. I owe it that. So I try to speak mm-hmm. not in an authoritarian way, but with authority. That is, I try to explain what I understand the Scripture to me- mean, given all the skills that the Lord has given and the giftedness. And I do my very best knowing that I am I'm flawed and fallen. And I, people I speak to, I let them, they know that very well if they've been with me for more than three minutes. So they know to be aware of that. But, but at the same time, I, I recognize that this, this area of, of giftedness needs to be um, exploited. So while I, I do speak and have no concern that Paul is prohibiting that, and when I say no concern, I don't mean I haven't had sleepless nights over it. I have. I've been doing this uh, off and on since age 19, I taught my first Sunday school lesson in fifth grade. My daddy taught me how to teach it, and I remember that well, my preparation and the hours that went into that. And so I take it seriously, just like my sister Lenary was saying. But I do believe that in Scripture that I would be permitted as a guest speaker to come and speak, but I would not be permitted to to stand as the, the leader either eldership, if you have an elder-led church where different speakers speak, or uh, if it's a, a, a pastoral role in a small church that would be just the pastor and a mega church like I'm in, there's such a huge pastoral staff that uh, the, if I served in some capacity, it would probably be with children, that would be the way it would work in my ch- church, something like that, not in a leadership pastoral role. But that teaching ministry in Ephesians 4 is uh, also informs me because my seminary professor at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary said that when the Paul was talking about it, and he gave some apostles, some evangelists, and pastors and teachers, that's very possibly, very reasonably interpreted to say pastors who teach. It is a single role. It's not a pastor role and a teacher role. That's what I'm prohibited from um, because... First Timothy 3 gives the guidelines for the overseer, overseers, and so I believe that is the line for me as a minister. But I don't believe that when Paul talked about um, in 1 Corinthians, for instance, 14, where he specifically said that a woman should remain silent, I do believe that um, in that situation, what was probably being dealt with was prophecy. Now, we know already that women prophesied prophesied. and that women prayed in church. So we know this is not an absolute prohibition when he's saying that. It probably has to do with the eldership who was vested with the responsibility in the early church, which 
uh, met without maybe a senior pastor as we have now. And so they had guest uh, rabbis or guest teachers come in. Or remember, Paul was an itinerant, so he would go to one of his churches he started or planted, and then he'd go to the next one, you know, and stay for a period of time. They didn't have a pastor there the whole time. And so these, these elders were vested with the responsibility due to their study, and perhaps because they were, were men and were to step up and take their leadership role within the body of believers to interpreting, to, to verifying the, the truthfulness, the veracity of what was being said by those who came in. And a woman uh, was not to, to speak and do that. So that very well may be what he was prohibiting there. And that's not the context right. of what we see uh, where it would be prohibited now um, in the same in the in the same type of a setting, we wouldn't have that pro- we wouldn't have that problem. And then in First Timothy two, the other big one, let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over men. If that is a single teach or have authority. It doesn't just mean an authoritative or authoritarian way, but to teach with from the position of the role of authority, which is the pastoral the role. role. Of the pastor. And what informs me for that is that Ephesians 4 passage where it says that he gave some apostles, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers or pastors who teach, pastor teachers. That's That informs me. So I am not to speak from that positional authority. So if I'm teaching a Sunday school class, I think that um, Keller, Kathy Keller, Tim Keller's wife, wrote the book, uh, Jesus, Justice, and Gender Roles. And I think she expresses it well. And she says, if, if you were to say, that's the silly, silliest thing I ever heard, there would be no no uh, church discipline coming toward you because I'm teaching in a Sunday school class. But if the pastor said, Jesus rose from the dead and, and these truths, th- that would, that would, if you said that's the most foolish thing I've ever heard, would require a church response, maybe disciplinary, maybe an urgence, uh, an encouragement and clarification of truths, an urge to repentance. So if we're teaching these truths, and that could be I could teach the truth, but if I'm teaching in a Sunday school setting, I see it quite different because they didn't have that kind of situation where you had the small classes being taught mm-hmm. in the early New Testament church in the same way that we do by non-elder, non-designated uh, in office, elders or pastor teachers. And so that's one reason I, I don't have a problem with it, though there are times I struggle over it and I have stepped down from a teaching in a mixed class when a certain pastoral staff had a problem with it. I struggled over it, but I, as soon as I found out, I just stepped down. I was done because the, my par- primary responsibility as a church member is to, to bring unity yes. and to fall Amen. in line. To fall in that. Now, if they were teaching a false teaching about Jesus, that would be different. I would stand up and I would have to confront it. There would be situations in which I would uh, bring it to the eldership uh, or whatever the leading body was and to the pastor that that is unbiblical uh, and it is an essential of the faith. That's my responsibility as a church member to do too, to write, to be a Berean and rightly divide the word of truth as Lenary said. But those yeah. are the things that sort of inform me and how I, uh, yes, I do write to women, it's true. I have feel a primary responsibility as a, a Christian woman to do that. But I also write to men and many men have taken those studies. But I also write to women specifically because in, when I write to them about apologetics, which is providing evidence for the Christian faith, women have not 
felt that they were qualified to do that and that it was just a job of women. And I want to call them forth to just join to, our brothers. To join our brothers, yeah, yes. Absolutely. Not because I think um, that women are more special or that men can't do it, but men are already doing that. So I was, I was writing 10 years ago. Now we have women apologists all over, uh, and it's growing like crazy. All over, but you're still talking about a small circle. You, well, you know, this, apologetics is, it's is it's a not small known, circle. It's not period. known mm-hmm. well outside of mm-hmm. yes. people that are, um, how should we say, studious. Mm-hmm. Well, people who uh, yeah. don't, the large majority probably of people in our denomination still don't know what the word means, and they spend right. most of their time wondering why we would use the word apology when it comes to right. Christianity. <laughs> so, you know, I spend a lot of my time just clarifying just explaining that. that. Yeah, yeah, just absolutely. clarifying that. Because, you know, whenever I was much younger, I could do a cold call at a house and share the Bible and what Jesus said in the Bible, and they respected it as a good book, but past 15 Mm-mm. years and less no more it's Why just another book so now apologetics is sort of floating to the surface as a major pre-evangelism tool so i can share the gospel and they say yeah but what about i have somewhere to go in the conversation and bring them back to jesus and with you, you give a good example in 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 your book about um the roadblocks mm-hmm. uh, and there being a bridge that you've got to cross yeah but there's roadblocks before you get there and yeah. so you know if the gospel is the bridge mm-hmm. and you've got all these roadblocks, you can't effectively get to the gospel when they're still struggling with all the roadblocks before they, they're they there. I, I and so let great. me give one example of a roadblock so that our listeners know what we're talking Absolutely. about. If, if apologetics is new to them, it would be something like you're saying, well, the Bible says, Jesus says that we are all sinners. They say, why do you believe the Bible? I mean, Bart Ehrman says there's 400,000 errors in it, more words than there are in the New Testament. Why would you believe the Bible is even true in making that claim. Uh Uh-oh. When I've learned all of the evangelism explosions, CWT, Romans Road, any of these uh, approaches to sharing the gospel, which are all scriptural, I have nowhere to go in the conversation except to say, keep saying the Bible says the Bible says. Now, it's very possible the Holy Spirit has already been at work and can bring that person to a saving knowledge, but I also need to be prepared to ask answer that good question and never to come back with them and you just have to have faith because that is a deceptive description of faith faith is to be well informed by our, our reason you know what i think that's similar to do as i say not as i do yes yeah. Yeah. yes you know there are a lot of good questions out there people are asking i can't answer all of them and some people just want to argue when they just want to argue Several of my pastors and apologetics mentors have said, what you want to do when they just want to argue and they keep coming back with a question before you can even answer, you can suspect that they aren't ready to, to trust Christ because you can say to them, if I answer all your questions satisfactorily, would you then trust Jesus as Savior? And very often they will say no. And then we know the issue is not one of information. This is not an intellectual roadblock. There may be other emotional pain. Why did he let my sister die of leukemia? There may be at root for all of us is the issue of the will. I don't want him messing up my party. Yeah, maybe when I'm about to die, I will, you know. So th- those are other issues, and apologetics uh, can be used, but it has to be used wisely, and it's best used with intellectual objections, not the not the others. Miss Lenarine, yes. I, I just want to speak to her. Um, now, well, don't get into a fight. I mean, this isn't the place for sister fights. <laughs> we don't. We, we gave that up a I'm, long time ago. <laughs> I'm, I'm just kidding. Yeah. Um, while I admire her humility and her desire to keep the unity, it angers me deeply that, she, that it was required of her to step down. 
because it's not a matter of pride, obviously, or she would have stood her ground and said, I have a right to teach. Um, and so it, it angers me that she's put in that position in this day and age. It hurt me at the time that she was put in that position, and she's put in that position by a man who is misinformed. And so I think that the danger that why I, why I, I struggle being between the two, falling somewhere almost in the middle while I see the scripture, I also see the giftedness and what God tells us to do with that giftedness. And I see that being controlled by men who have no right to do the controlling and that they are sinfully exerting their positions of power. And so that concerns me um, to say, I admire, and I know that you did what the Lord led you to do in that position and in, in that particular circumstance, but then it's in every circumstance, would that be the right thing to do? I don't necessarily think so in that same circumstance. I don't necessarily think so because I think at some point, at some point, we have to say, but scripture says, and therefore you need to go pray about it and not, and not in any prideful way, not in any sinful way, but just to say, you might need to consider and let's us both go our separate directions and let's pray about this and see what God tells us about this. Because we always say, Brother Chem always says, he speaks with one voice. He doesn't tell you one thing and me another and you one thing and you one thing. He speaks with one voice. Scripture is clear on that. And so we need to rightly divide the truth. And, and, and I don't think I know her giftedness. You know her giftedness. And I know that she would have, just as you said about the other one, she, her church would have benefited from, was benefiting from. And so that gift was removed from the people who needed to hear it. And I think, and because, because of her willingness to submit. And that, that, that's, that angers me and it hurts my heart. Ms. Tricia. In that specific situation, I will say, I would have liked to have dialogued with the pastoral staff so that they knew where I was coming from in my reasoning. And because I had studied in seminary just as they had this issue, written a paper on it because it burdened me so, and I needed to know how to deal with it in my ministry. I mean, I've been called a feminist because I would teach in these sorts of situations, and I've been called a, a, a traditional hierarchicalist. In other words, the opposite end. I've been called both, and yet my position has been the same throughout. So I would have loved to have had the pastoral staff to say, you know, let's dial here. Here, uh, let me hear what your thinking is on this, Tricia, and contribute to that. But I will also say, um, in this case, I did not get the sense in any way that the pastor who was doing this was doing it in the way she was describing, which would be wrong and sinful. I believe that many of our pastors really believe what they're saying is that the Bible does not permit maybe you to teach in any situation where there's a, a man present within the local body of believers. And, they, and I cannot fault them for that because they would be sinning if they didn't hold true. And they're going to be called misogynist, chauvinist, See, anytime they say this. They have a price to pay as well. They do too. They do too. And I respect that very much. Was it easy? No. Was it hurtful? Did I draw too much attention to myself as I'm humbly, not so humbly kicking and screaming? You know, no, not really. But, <laughs> but as I stepped down, draw more attention to myself than I should? Yes, I, I did. It, it showed my, my pridefulness in my own attitude. So then I worked on, Lord, where would you have me serve? So I, I continue to work with this. And I could say that when I get 
to heaven. I could be wrong about this. I know without a doubt about Jesus Christ, his resurrection, his uh, substitutionary atonement, meaning that he stood in my place and took the wrath, the justified wrath of God for my sins so that by trusting in him and what he's already done, I don't have to take that penalty for my sin. Mm -hmm. I have no doubt about his physical, bodily resurrection as an historical event. I have no doubt. I don't believe that the scripture is unclear in any way about any of those issues, about the triunity of God, uh, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one nature but three persons. I have no question about the scripture teaching that. On this matter, I recognize that, that I could still be I we can still be, be wrong, wrong. And, and absolutely yeah. and, and that's that's one of the things that you know through the discussions that Pastor Tim and I have had um, you know if you come from the position of what I was taught is correct and that's that yeah. then you're not going to grow you're not going to you're not going to learn more about Christ you're not going to learn more about the person that he is um, I think it's I think it's when we have questions and we're we're humble enough to say I don't know but I'm going to dig deeper and I'm going to dig out everything that I can dig out about this subject. And, and I'm going to pray about it and I'm going to talk to people that know more than I do. I think that's when we are honoring Christ. Not when we say, this is what I taught and I, this is what I was taught and I know that it's true. And so I respect each of you for your different um, viewpoints. And I understand why it angered you because you love your sister. And, mm-hmm. and I get that. And I respect you for making the decision that you made. And I would just say this, that as a man, that if for whatever reason a pastor said there's somebody in the class that has a problem with you teaching the class because of X, Y, Z, whatever, you know, maybe they knew me before I was saved or after I was saved, but was still acting like I wasn't saved, you know, that, Hey, I get that. And so let's, let's, let's talk about it. And if they still have a problem, then we'll find another teacher. Because I don't want to be a stumbling block as a man. I know that you don't want to be a stumbling block as a, as a woman. And, and I think that that's something that we have to respect with any role that we take. You know, and I, I've, I've heard um, pastors make comments, you know, kind of to the effect that, you know, I think that we need to be 100% or we need to be unanimous in this decision as a staff when they're, when they're making key um, decisions about who's, who's going to teach or who's going to lead a particular ministry. And, you know, and I've, I've known of pastors that, you know, uh, draw the process out over months and months and months because the entire staff hasn't agreed on it. There's somebody that brings something up. And, and so I, I respect that, that it's like, you know, hey, let's, mm-hmm. let's wait and see where God's working. And when we recognize that this is where he's working, then we jump on it, you know. Yes, ma'am. I would encourage, based on what you're saying as a good jumping off point, I would encourage pastoral staffs to come to some conclusion and unity on this issue. Because in my situation, it wasn't the lead pastor, but another pastor. And uh, he said he believed that the lead pastor believed the same way, and so I I stepped down. Um, But it would have been helpful to know that the pastoral staff was in unity on some sort of policy about how this was going to be handled church-wide and in such a big church as the church that I was in. And that would have been helpful to me as a teacher. And we have to respect the fact that pastors, at least within the Southern Baptist Convention, are called, they go and come, in other words. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. one pastor could come in and the previous pastor, so may think differently than the previous pastor. And so they're dealing with a preset, you know, agenda 
and it's very much harder to turn the boat around than it is to guide it from the beginning. And so I respect that difficulty that pastors have, our father having been mm -hmm. a pastor. And I, I respect that that's a tremendous challenge. And so this them meeting together, have a meeting in the minds, even if they don't all agree, but they come to some policy, some philosophy. Right. Mm -hmm. But that's the privilege of a church planter, as hard as church planting is is that they get to start from ground zero, you know, they don't have and to deal lay with out the philosophy Absolutely. of the church in terms of those things. And not all pastors get that privilege of doing that. So I really respect the pastoral challenges that this brings. And uh, yeah, I let's pray make for our pastors harder. regardless. Yes. They yes. have the toughest job. You know, there's a lot of people that, 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 that look to teachers as being heroes and firemen and policemen and, and all these other people. But pastors fit in as well because – um, if you've seen what I have seen that pastors have dealt with, um, it blows my mind. And, definitely and the, front lines. Absolutely. In more ways than one. And, and they have to make hard decisions on a daily basis. And, and I, I have respect for anyone willing to take on that role. So swapping gears just a little bit, there's been um, – I go to this because I've bought my wife Beth Moore Bible Studies. And as, as of late, there have been uh, a lot of controversy surrounding Beth Moore and some of the things that she has said and some positions that she has taken. Um, what do you know about her uh, as a person? Maybe, maybe some of you have met her. Um, what do you think about the controversy, the things that she said? Is she wrong? Did we mistreat her as a Southern Baptist Convention for her to leave? Was it a, a good thing for her to leave? Is it a good study for women to be doing um, at this point? I've taken Beth Moore's, some of her study courses, and I, I loved them. Um, I learned a lot from them. Um, and I can't say that I blame her for leaving the Southern Baptist Convention because she's been confronted with so many things. And, and it goes back to, I think, pride, man's pride. And uh, also, I, I don't find anything in any of her studies that contradicts what the Bible says. Uh, I haven't found that. So I've really enjoyed um, her Bible studies. Thank you, Ms. Renee. Uh, Ms. Lennery, is this something that you're familiar with? or I know. I don't have a, uh, an opinion really about this. Uh, I've never done I, I've done rarely done her studies. Uh, I do think she's a good speaker as far as her ability to speak, um, and I do feel like she should do whatever the Lord leads her to do. But I think it's a good, uh, it, the thing, the good that can come out of this, no matter which side you fall on, is that we could have this discussion across the the Southern Baptist Convention and across other denominations as well to say, you know, where should we stand on this? And it's a good, it's a good jumping off point for why she did what she did. And we can't judge, we can't know her heart, but to say, you know, was it scriptural? And, and was the Southern Baptist Convention uh, in their choices scriptural? You know, I think that's that's the question. And I, I can't speak to that because I just don't know enough. You don't know enough about it, mm -hmm. absolutely. Ms. Mm -hmm. Tricia, are you familiar I, with this at all? Just a little bit. I have not been a follower of Beth Moore over the years. I have taken uh, one or two of her studies many years ago. So... The, just reading about it since you raised the question, reading about a little a little bit more, I think it would be helpful to our listeners to to clarify the meaning of complementarian and egalitarian views. So it would seem that the complementarian view 
and the egalitarian view of the role of women are dramatically different, and I think that they are. In one of her tweets, evidently recently, she apologized for holding to the man-made doctrine of complementarianism and promoting it um, in, in such a way that I think she felt it was hurtful to women. Now, don't get me wrong, I don't I'm not understanding that she has completely put aside complementarianism as a biblical view, but maybe the way that it was interpreted and applied. So I will leave that to her to be able to speak to. But I will say that complementarianism um, is not a man-made doctrine. The word, like the word Trinity, may not be in the Bible. That doesn't mean that the doctrine isn't taught. We have to judge the doctrine based on the content of what that doctrine claims. Just like most doctrines, hypostatic union, so on and so forth. Right. So you can say, well, the word Trinity, and Jehovah's Witnesses say this all the time, the word Trinity is not in the Bible, therefore the Trinity is not biblical. No, the word Trinity was first used by Tertullian a long, long time ago, but it was a word that designated certain content of meaning that does reflect what the Scripture teaches. Uh, The Father is God, the Son is God, the Spirit is God, but there is one God. How has that happened? And so this was the early church fleshing out how this could be so. So even though the word complementarian isn't in there, the Scripture does seem to teach that there are distinct natures— in the world out there, we're told we're unisex. We're just one, one sex. But the Bible gives us the beauty of distinctiveness between men and women. Amen. And I, I, we, I don't want to obliterate that. Now, I don't think submission means what I thought it meant growing up, which is being under a man's thumb and being a doormat. So that was my misunderstanding of what submission uh was and and that's maybe what a lot of us are fighting against is this common interpretation of what that means traditional Tradi- more traditional leave mm-hmm. it to beaver uh, mentality but if complementarian means that that the woman is the life giver and what it, I mean about that is not something mystical but she is the designed physical caring vessel and nurturer of of new life then that's a gift she's been given a high and holy calling that her body is specifically fit for and so we have to acknowledge that man is specifically fit for something too now that doesn't mean for instance the traditional roles I can't be out working earning a living. Proverbs 31 shows us that's simply not true. Uh, but it does mean that the, the heart of the home is the woman and the head of the home is man. And Paul grounds this not in a current contemporary context of his time, but in the creation order that man was created first, that woman was created out of man, that man brought uh, God brought woman to man to be named, that he had already named all the animals, that he was to love and care for her and, and to cherish her by his side. These draw a picture in the Genesis narrative that I think are very informative about what it's to be like. And then Paul goes on in Ephesians to describe this mysterious relationship between Christ and the church and how we emulate that. And then we see the Trinity and how um, uh, Jesus, though he is ontologically, big word, meaning in being, equal, eternal, God, with all the attributes of God, omniscience, omnipresence, humbling himself, adding to his deity, his 100% deity, 100% flesh, taking that on, according to Philippians 2, and then humbling himself as a servant, making himself as nothing, and going all the way to the cross on my behalf. And this is what we see. And so 
even though ontologically Jesus Christ, the Son, is equal with the Father, in economy, the function, the role, especially particularly as the, the Son who came in person in the flesh, he submits to the Father in everything. In fact, he says that's the whole reason he comes to earth is to do the will of the Father. Exactly. It's not even to meet our needs. The most fundamental call of Jesus Christ on his life was to do the will of the Father. And that's the attitude of servant submission uh, that he had. And while within his being, having all the authority over every single thing in the universe. And so I think that, that somehow we are to emulate that not only within marriage, but within the body of Christ, the local body of believers. And we're to draw a picture in our actions of what that's supposed to look like. I'm still learning at almost 46 years of marriage how to draw that picture. Mm-hmm. so that the world can see it. I'm still we're, learning. I we're, yeah. fail. And you will be from, from now on. I, yeah, when you understand yeah. a man, I'll understand a woman. Yes. But the right? egalitarian view now, as opposed to the complementarian view, would say that men and women are not only ontologically equal, but they are in every role equal. There is no distinction. And I have a problem with that. Now, I don't think, uh, I think that a lot of us who that call would, us, That would fall in line with what um, we're seeing now with uh, transgender athletes. And, you know, and even, mm-hmm. even uh, I don't know what's right here, Caitlyn Jenner, we'll say Caitlyn Jenner, I think that's what is the preferred um, way to address the person, um, is saying that it is, it is not right for men, transgender men, to compete in women's sports. But if you had this view... This would say that everything is equal across the board. Yeah. And so, but do we really want to obliterate all distinctions? Do we really want that? We're seeing the outgrowth of that within our scary. culture. And it is it's very terrifying. scary. It's terrifying. It's terrifying. And, um, I just see I see something different in complementarianism. Now, the the question then becomes not whether I'm a complementarian or not, uh, because I believe that I am. But how? What are the implications in this setting within the local body of believers? Mm-hmm. How do we flesh that out? And that's where I think we get into a lot of challenges. Many of the pastors that I know are not misogynistic. They're not trying to exploit their power. I think they do this with fear and truth. They're doing the best mm-hmm. that they can, but and they're they believe, praying their way through it. And they well, they may be truly convicted. This is what the scripture teaches. And so that, folks, that's why I say be very careful and wise when you go to look for a local body of believers and what you're looking for and and making sure that you can function and live within that uh, leadership because Mm -hmm. you are called as a body of believer not to be a yes man. I think that I can certainly question what a pastor is teaching, ask questions, do it in a respectful way, and I may even have to leave if if I believe what he's teaching is unbiblical and I can no longer worship uh, with other members of that body of believers because of the doctrinal trajectory of that church. But as far as Mrs. Moore, she has said that complementarianism isn't biblical, and I just disagree with her on that. Mm-hmm. Has she been mistreated in the Southern Baptist Convention? She would be the best speaker of that. I know from my own experience, not having spoken nearly as much as Ms. Moore have, has, that I've experienced some things that were, were painful, were painful uh, and hurtful. But let's be honest. As you were saying, we are sinners. It's not men are sinners. Men are probably have a tendency toward certain kinds of sins, okay, exploiting their power. What are women, if we're going to say that, what are women inclined to do? I think of the word manipulation to get what I want. Now, is that all women? No, no. 
But if you're going to stereotype men and say, you know, this this is the uh, patriarchal society and the abuse of women, let's be honest. We're we are all sinners, and how many times do we see women in power do harmful things to other women in power? So I, I don't think that we need to to uh, put women and men at odds with each other, not because it's so easy to figure this out, but because we're in the body of believers and our unity is through Christ, mm -hmm. not through anything else. Amen. So complementarian and egalitarianism, as far as what the meanings are, I hold to the complementarian view. What are the implications and applications in the local body of believers? That's we may right. have a good bit mm -hmm. of, of uh, disagreement or um, maybe even we could say diversity on what that would look like and still call myself complementarian. So um, I would recommend um, Mer um, Kathy Keller's book, Tim Keller's wife who Jesus justice and gender roles and as you say in life givers apologetics uh, which just for your listeners they could get on my favorite apologetics and theology website impactapologetics.com impact i-m-p-a-c-t apologetics.com life givers I deal with this issue a little bit right in the beginning to help women to understand as physical life givers nature of woman physical life giver not every woman being a life giver but we can carry that giftedness over into the nurturing sharing of our faith and learning the evidences for our faith in, in a unique way that means that women could contribute uniquely to this call to evangelism and apologetics. All right, real quick before we go, uh, book recommendations for our listeners or Bible study recommendations. You just gave a couple there. Uh, Ms. Lennery, you have any that you'd like to recommend? And it needs to be a Bible study or? Or a book. Uh, yeah, we'll take a book recommendation as well. Well, I love Ann Voskamp. She's one of my favorite that I love. And I love. I also love Susie, anything that she writes, but 1,000 Gifts. It, I started, and she came out with that book years ago, and I started on that gratitude journey, as she says. And uh, she talked, Brother Tim, about the cruciform life. And uh, she's she's one of my favorites, and also Susie Larson, I love her. She she talks about prevailing as a Christian and, and as a believer and walking. Uh, she's really good about applying uh, scripture and what does that mean for me and how does that change my life on a day-to-day -day basis. But um, And she has she has a 365-day devotional that I'm, I'm in right now that uh, you read one every day, and it's just, she's, she's great. Awesome, Ms. Ms. Renee, last word. Book recommendations, Bible study recommendations. My Bible study recommendation is to get up every single day and open your Bible up and ask the Holy Spirit to lead and guide you Amen. through God's Word, and He will. He will every every time and uh, reveal God to you and Jesus to you and the redemption that we have that drew mankind back uh, yeah. to God, our Creator. And uh, He'll take you step by step through the Word. Amen. So the Bible, the best Bible study is the Bible. Absolutely. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Nobody can argue with that. Thank you, ladies, very much for being here. Uh, for all of our listeners now, we are on Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, uh, Amazon, I think all the major platforms with the exception of Pandora. Of course, you can always uh, find us at our website, gammatown.org, and my personal website, garrettrands.com. 
And Miss Tricia, do you have a personal website Trisha, as well? TriciaScrivener.com. It's, it's fallen by the wayside largely due to being in school. But uh, apologetics-wise, crossexamined.org. I'll be blogging on there pretty soon, getting back into some of these issues and questions. All right. Thank you, ladies, very much. Thank you for having us. We're good. We had a great time. I hope to have you all back at some point very soon. Hear me, hear me, hear me out.